everyone. Welcome to your newest episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with your host, myself, Laura Matsu, and my husband, Bernhard Gunther. And on this episode, we are going to be debunking 10 popular myths about spirituality and inner work. So we've noticed that a lot of spiritual concepts, a lot of concepts around self-work, inner work have become way more popular lately. At the same time, we saw a little, um, we see a lot of misconceptions in the field, as well as a lot of just pure nonsense in the field. So in this podcast, we're going to debunk some of those most popular topics. So in the first hour, we're really going to talk about the law of attraction, what's true, what's not true in that, and how it's potentially misused as well. We're going to also talk about the concept of the twin flame, very popular concept, um, we're going to talk about the same thing, like, where, is there truth in it? And what is this part set are basically um, bullshit. <laughs> Excuse my language. Um, and then three um, on the first hour, we're also going to talk about is raise, you know, raising your vibration, thinking positive thoughts, what we think about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about shadow work, um, some popular myths we see around that, um, mainly that, you know, being triggered is a bad thing or... You know, you just have to do a little bit of shadow work and then you integrate it and then you're done. Um, and then the last point on the first hour we're going to cover is this idea of humanity as ascending and we're just ascending up to higher and higher levels. And in the second hour, we're going to really talk about some of the things that the kind of some of the myths and kind of uh, misconceptions we see about the concept of occult forces and entity attachments, namely you just need to get, find someone to remove the entity and then you're all good. Um, we're going to talk about the idea that tarot cards and astrology will open up doorways to demons um, and speak to that, which is something we also, I think, covered in our um, podcast about the new age to dogmatic Christian pipeline. Um, and then another point we're going to address in the second hour is that you need a specific diet to access higher states of consciousness. Uh, and the last two points are in order to free yourself from the matrix, you just need to grow your own food, not use banks, etc. And then lastly, does having an awakening experience mean that you're now awake? So for those who are not familiar with the format of our podcast, we always offer the first hour for free. And then we have a second hour to every single podcast, which you can access by going to veilofreality.com slash membership. And then if you sign up and become a member, I think it's like, what, $11 a month, you get access to basically 100 plus hours of every second hour of every podcast where we go deeper. So if you want to get access to the second hour, that's how you can do it. So let's just go right into it. So first, the law of attraction um, so let's just define it first. So if, in case people don't really understand it or so that we're on the same page with the definition. So yeah, the, the common definition law of attraction is based on like it attracts like, and that's how it's commonly used in kind of pop spiritual new age circles is also ties into how you manifest your quote unquote reality, uh, based on your thoughts, on your whole emotional state, on who you are, your vibration, your energy, and you just attract experiences and hence create your reality uh, as um, in a kind of solipsistic way. And that's kind of already a, a misconception here. Um, so you attract experiences, good or bad, quote unquote, because um, good and bad is very subjective to you based on your 
state of being, uh, uh, vibration and all of that. And specifically in the new age, based on like, you know, um, there's this idea that if you're really positive, you attract positive experience. If you're negative, have negative thoughts, you attract negative experiences. Right. And then I went on the side note, um, the law of attraction became very popular with two people. Um, Abraham Hicks, the channeling that started already back in the nineties. I remember the book law of attraction and then also the secret, which also came out late nineties, yeah, yeah. very popular book and film. Yeah. And this woman from Australia, Rhonda, I forgot her name. Rhonda Byrne, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah. But it was this very fascinating. You remember the tsunami that happened in India that was early two thousands. I don't remember, somewhere around the big uh, tsunami, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere in Asia, thousands of death. Uh, and she came out that the people attract the tsunami based on their negative thought forms of that environment. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah so she claimed that this is just um, ridic- uh, ridiculous, really. Yeah. And the main thing, too, I've noticed with the law of attraction is it's just like think positive thoughts have positive feelings, don't have bad feelings because those are bad vibrations. And it's really focused on almost like aggressively just thinking positive thoughts, having positive emotions. And that what normally results in is emotional suppression and denial, actually. Yeah, exactly. And so if you have a negative thought, you just deny it, deny, push it away. So like, for example, like maybe you have a negative thought like, oh, I need to quit my job. Oh, that's just a negative thought. I need to push it away. So it can easily delude you. It can confuse you. It can make you um, constantly paranoid. Like when bad things happen, oh my God, this is because of this negative thought I had, you know? And while our thoughts and our mind state of mind are really important for, you know, the actions we create, the feelings we have, when we're not dismissing that, you know, I've noticed a lot of people take this to an extreme where they're just very aggressively avoiding both negative emotions and negative thoughts. And it basically puts them into a state of denial and then emotional suppression, which is also not good for reality creation. Yeah. And then we go deeper into this idea of vibration and positive thoughts in, in, in point three. But it, it goes to that those extremes and people deny the dark in the world, deny evil, right? They only see good and only only love and light. And that creates imbalance, ironically creates more evil and negativity in the world. You address it as well. But going back to the law of attraction, because none of this is black and white, right? There's truth in it. But um, it has been corrupted, actually, the idea of the law of attraction from its original esoteric meaning and kind of watered down into basically, quote, I can have anything I want from the universe if I just ask for it and align my thoughts, beliefs, and emotions with my desires, right? That's the law of attraction, ties into you create your own reality. Ask and you shall be given. That's actually also a book from Abraham Hicks and has also been distorted from its true esoteric meaning where it said, ask and ask and knock and knock and you shall be given, uh, which uh, I'll talk about as well. So from an esoteric perspective, esoteric science, esoteric science means that it's a great work to work towards uh, becoming one with the divine, towards the awakening process, the second birth to uh, bring forth the true self, your essence, soul embodiment. Um, in esoteric science, also based on like attracts like, but it's uh, it has a different foundation, so to speak. It basically means that from the esoteric perspective that the sincere seeker engaged in esoteric self-work will attract Anything that will help him in his soul evolution based on his current level of being, which is a key concept, current level of being, where you're at in your soul evolutionary journey over lifetimes, with the aim of 
union with the divine and soul realization. That is the great work. And the phrase, ask you shall be given, as it's written, knock and knock and ask and ask and um, it will be given to you, actually relates to knowledge, guidance, assistance and occult secrets, meaning hidden secrets, that will help the seeker on the path if he's committed and sincere in his asking. That means the ask and ask and knock and knock. It's about the sincerity, right? The aspiration without demands or expectations for a particular outcome. So yeah. it's more the sincere impulse towards an awakening. And then uh, the seeker will attract um, certain experiences to help them, even guidance and all of that, um, to help them on this path. So, but the key point to understand this, this whatever will be given to him or he attracts to him, um, uh, it's not up to him, basically, the ego personality. It's not, not, not up to you, so to speak, of what you think you want based on your ego personality and your desires. Yeah. But it actually relates to soul lessons and karmic lessons over lifetimes. Yeah. Uh, did you I, want to say something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I remember a period where I was aggressively working with law of attraction and I was attracting the things that my ego desires wanted, actually my wounded self wanted. And then when it came, it didn't work out and it wasn't what I thought it would be, you know? So that's the point when I gave up on it actually, because yeah. I was like, what I, what the, what, what this wounded part of me who was kind of manifesting things wanted was actually not what I really wanted. And that's when I realized exactly. that. Yeah. So exactly, because it, then, it can include both, like positive experience, positive guidance, as it is mentioned, such as, for example, the right teacher teaching or assistance and help, even including material resources, money appearing as well at the right time. But again, it's not up to the impatient ego. However, and that's the key point with understanding what a lot of New Age people don't get right, it also entails challenging situations, trials, disillusionment, struggle, resistance, and difficult initiation. Um, that may seem negative <laughs> from the ego perspective or from the uninitiated eye, so to speak, but are important lessons and tests for the initiated soul to pass through in order eventually to cross the thresholds towards self-realization and to be reborn in the true self. But here's the key point. These ne quote-unquote negative experiences, as the ego personality may see it as, have nothing to do with attracting them because of your negative attitude, thoughts, or feelings. Yes. This is the key aspect. Right? Yeah, yeah. And also it kind of links in with some ideas in evolutionary astrology or just karma in general is that sometimes we have situations that appear in our life which seem to be quote unquote bad or uncomfortable, which are a requirement for us to grow to the next stage or that's so, so that's the, that's karmic what they would call karmic requirement evolutionary astrology and there's also when karma has come to fruition from the past including past lifetimes which is just necessary for us to go to which you didn't quote unquote manifest with your negative thoughts in the moment which are a continuation of a stream of cause and effect going back lifetimes basically so it's and it's very hard to know which which one is which as well and it's very hard to predict when it happens exactly so. and then continuing with that then in this process after many cycles and many lifetimes and finally having exhausted all desire right that's a whole uh, work so to speak uh, and basically also realizing the futility of finding happiness through external means then the initiated soul will realize the illusion actually of personal will as to give away to divine will and alignment of divine will 
which is also the deepest secret of reality creation, which has also been very convoluted and distorted in pop spiritual new age circles, right? I will also say that there are some truths that, that your own internal like shadow aspect, um, unconscious core beliefs can attract certain things, self-sabotage, there's something to it, but it's not so oversimplified in black and white as this oversimplified idea of like attracts like as we see in pop spiritual circles. Yeah, and then lastly, I would just say that it eliminates how powerful the subconscious or pre-conscious mind is, which is not what you're, what you're consciously thinking is only yes. like a fraction of what's actually Super going on underneath the surface. So exactly. that's, 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 some, that's something else to consider. Yeah, and before we go to the next point, I also want to point out that I'm actually currently working on a very long webinar course. It's going to be probably a two-day course um, on how to create abundance in alignment of divine will and aligning, really fulfilling your creative potential and creating more prosperity in your life. It's a very important topic nowadays. I look deep into the forces of money, sex, power, and really how to create abundance in your life in alignment with your deeper soul purpose. And in that uh, course, I will even go deeper in the so-called law of attraction, also you create a reality and other myths and really put them in a deeper, more tangible and practical context to empower you. So um, I've been working on that for many months now, have already over 150 slides so far. So if you're interested in joining that sign up to my mailing list at veilofreality.com to the newsletter and you'll be notified. Okay, so let's go on to the second point. Um, so the twin flame idea, I get asked about this so much. I see a lot of people fall down this rabbit hole, mainly people who just truly desire um, a relationship that is maybe based on growth or based on their spiritual values, which I think is where the kind of uh, popularization of it in the culture is coming from because a lot of people want those kinds of relationships. Um, okay, so I'm just going to talk, I'm just going to literally read off of some stuff I've Googled about <laughs> signs of a twin flame union and we can Go talk ahead. about them. So, yeah. um, so you feel each other's energy even before meeting. You will fight against all odds to be with each other. You will love each other's quirkiness as much as the virtues. Your connection will be transcendental, expansive, divine. You will give in to the strong attraction towards each other. The relationship will have ups and downs, but will be fulfilling. Your union is predestined for the greater good of mankind. The relationship will develop fast and will get intense rapidly. No matter how many times you part ways, you'll meet again. The romance will feel like a divine bliss from heaven. And then also there's a fundamental aspect in this whole kind of twin flame literature, I guess you could say, that's out there that centers around the runner, the runner and chaser. So essentially the idea is, is that the union, well, number one, some of the, a lot of literature says, oh, often they're actually with another person, but your connection with them is so intense that you guys can't leave each other alone. And, you know, they basically uh, um, allude to the fact that a lot of the times the person is already involved with someone else. So already that's a red flag, because if you're getting involved with someone who's already in a marriage, you know, that's not a good start to a relationship. But it's this runner and chaser thing, which I find especially interesting. Basically what, what you know, I'm reading just directly from a thing I found that the twins can be so triggered by each other's negativity 
that running and chasing happens in the ascension process. <laughs> so basically right. they, they, they separate, meaning they actually break up or separate because the connection is so intense and they get so triggered that they run away. And so, you know, from a psychological perspective, a lot of this speaks to anxious and avoidant attachment, actually. Yes. So <laughs> the runner is the anxious one and the avoidant is the, uh, or sorry, the runner is the avoidant one and the chaser is the anxious one. So, you know, there's it's interesting because there's some truths in this that, you know, when you do have a deep soul connection with someone, it does feel like a bond right away. But I would also argue, especially referencing an amazing book called um, Inner Gold by, I believe, Robert Johnson, where he talks about positive projections and relationships, is that when you first meet someone, the, um, you know, the positive endorphins are so high that it creates this feeling of romance, you know, it creates a strong feeling of attraction. That's a good thing to happen in any relationship. Like, you know, you don't want to do without that, actually. But eventually that does fade. And then when it fades and your projections ideally fade, they don't always. Often when that romance goes away, people are like, oh, how can we get that romance back? Oh, you're not who I thought you were at the beginning of the relationship. They usually fight to maintain the projections they had in the beginning or to maintain the feeling, not realizing that when the romantic projections fade is actually when true love can begin and when you can really get to know the person on a deeper level. So this idea that just having this very strong emotional overriding connection to someone in the beginning is something to just be aware of, meaning it can be filled with your own unfulfilled attachment wounds. It could be filled by all sorts of fantasies. It can be filled by all sorts of ideals that can make you overlook maybe ways in which you aren't compatible. So it's like a drug. This romance phase is like a drug and you kind of have to wait. And it's, it's like, imagine meeting someone on ecstasy, like literally taking the drug ecstasy and starting a relationship with them. And then the drug wears off and then you're like, oh, okay. That, that, that happened to me. Yeah, that's actually that's actually, <laughs> that's actually how it can feel with the romantic projections, you know? Yeah. So I would also argue, you know, you need to be really grounded when you enter into a relationship. You need to be aware of what, I mean, your own stuff will do you a big favor, but also be aware of how heightened the emotions can be in the beginning and know what you're looking for, know what your values are, and also know how to spot someone and know how to be someone who has secure attachment, because that's the biggest piece. It's if, but one, at least one of you needs to have secure attachment in order for the relationship to last and be and be um, a good relationship. So this is almost like kind of templating people for like highly dramatic, intense emotional relationships which yes, can happen when you have a deep bond with someone and you're working through stuff. I'm not saying that it won't, but it can also happen in relationships which are not good for each other, which are not good for you. And I see a lot of people fantasizing about this idea, oh, one day my twin flame is going to come or it's my twin flame, but he's just in another relationship with someone else, you know? Yeah. And they ha and that is not, I, I would, yeah. I, that's not very healthy, I would say. No. Um couple of things a lot of what you also said implies first of all to have deeper self-awareness self-knowledge psychological understanding without spiritual bypassing this twin flame idea you know ties into spiritual bypassing as well where we normalize certain pathologies even relationship even abuse to, to an extent 
Yeah. Uh, but the twin flame thing also, you know, the whole idea when somebody identifies themselves as a twin flame, the ego can easily hijack that. It likes to identify that. It likes to make itself feel better. Oh, I have this, uh, you know, higher relationship and all that, right? And also like it's, it's the sort of these stages sounds like the romantic phase on steroids, which sounds also very similar like uh, what uh, Eve Lorgan called the dark side of Cupid, a love bite relationship, you know, that's actually orchestrated by other forces in order to feed off of all the emotional luge. Um, I've written about this. Eve Lorgan has a whole book about this. But I want to also just real quick on this point that it is also, again, not, nothing is black and white. It is based on some truth, and a tr uh, based on the divine union, again, from a spiritual perspective, esoteric perspective, going even go back here to esoteric Christianity. The esoteric tradition, Christian tradition, again, has nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with... Uh, uh, um, accepting Jesus as a savior and all of that. This is more the true esoteric, deeper inner work of the Christian tradition. And there's something called the fifth way of the polar couple, right? Of the quote-unquote union, divine union. Uh, but there's a prerequisite uh, to be even able to recognize each other, to have this union on the higher level in service to the divine on a spiritual level. Um, so some of these points are both partners have already gone through what is called a moral bankruptcy, full and disillusionment and death of the personality. They already have a connection to the soul essence, to the true self. Both have established the real I presence and along the path of individual, they're individuating, you know, ties into the young and shadow work as well. They don't depend on another person. Twin flame also implies almost like you're not fully whole until you have your other flame joining, right? Um, you have also full control and mastery of the mechanical impulse, especially the emotional and sexual center, not mistaking sexual or purely physical attraction impulses or emotional infatuation for love, which a lot of this love by, um, yeah, it's, it's all like. based on heightened emotions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're moving as it's called in esoteric science from, you moved away from carnal love based on the lower centers of sex, power, and all of that. And preference of the, or just preference of personality, and appearances to courtly love, which is a deeper psychic spiritual love based on the higher centers and has nothing to do with licks, looks, has nothing to do with sexual attraction, has nothing to do of any personality attributes of the ego. And lastly, they're also integrally polar, meaning that's hence the polar couple, meaning they're looking in the same direction and give each other precisely what each need, but not related to the desires of the personality, right? They look in the same direction, meaning in union to go on the way towards self-realization in service to the divine, but even have their own lessons and provide lessons to each other as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then not to dive too deep into it, we have actually, we go very deep into this topic in itself on our masterclass or the evolutionary relationships. We have that on the courses where we go deep into the On Veil of unit. Reality, if you go to the menu, you'll see a yeah. drop down for courses, right? Exactly. Yeah. We go deep into what a true divine union is and the, the uh, distortions of the twin flame. Uh, and I don't want to go too deep into that, but Sri Aurobindo from Integral Yoga also very well laid out three types of relationships. Number one, the vital or physical relationship, which according to him, 99% of, of couples or marriages uh, are this type of a union in the world, right? Yeah. Um, That's And I have ahead. to say too, you know, what you mentioned earlier, this idea that someone just comes along and completes you 
is not an is not a higher union concept. This is concept which is advertised in every single Hollywood movie and every single pop song. This is a consensus mainstream idea that you need someone else to complete you. And mm -hmm. when you connect to the true self, you actually don't feel that anymore. You exactly. might want to be in a relationship and be like, hey, I think that would help me, but we won't be this like, oh, I just have to be with someone. Where's my true love? It's not like this desperation. Yes, that's a key point. Also mentioned as a Turk Christian, but I just mentioned before, both people, before you can enter the union, you already have a strong connection to the divine true self, true essence. There's more no desperation or desire or longing Yes. For another, you know, yeah. you have it already established. You have found the kingdom within yourself. Yes. And that kingdom within replaces that, like, feeling in that idea that you're incomplete with another person. Exactly. Then he talks the second uh, uh, bond between a couple is, is psychic love. You know, this is have a call for a greater ideal in life than average man, higher goals beyond personal fulfillment. And, and not just, um, you know, personality development, sexual desires, and all of that. Um, And then lastly, there's the true spiritual bond. And that's the highest possible union um, for a couple who, you know, for both who feel the true call for a spiritual life, right? And has to find his comp complementary soul or his partner and to the sadhana, the spiritual practice together, basically. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can... You can learn more. If you want to learn more about this, this is something we... And you want to learn more also about some essential relationship tools, yes. get the evolutionary relationships masterclass is definitely worth it if that's interesting to you. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. So this is kind of related to the law of attraction, but raising your vibration is only thinking positive thoughts. <laughs> so, you know, your thoughts do matter. And I think that yes. the main point of establishing, a med like I've been meditating every day since... 2013 like a pretty long time that's like 10 years and being able to have agency over the thoughts that you pay attention to and have agency means this is a thought i'm gonna let go this is a thought that maybe feels inspiring maybe i should focus maybe i should expand upon that is one of the greatest gifts that having a regular meditative practice can offer you because for the most part people's thoughts are chaotic. Like they just have random stuff come up here and there, intrusive thoughts, negative thoughts, thoughts in the past. It's like very scattered, right? So if you're that kind of person establishing some meditation practice, maybe even doing some deep trauma work, because a lot of that can be coming from dysregulation as well, is useful. But, you know, the idea of only thinking positive thoughts, again, is like just you're, you're, forcing yourself into a state of denial like say your mother died for example um and you're like oh i'm only gonna you know did that happen because you were only you were thinking negative thoughts about her or is only thinking positive thoughts in that situation important no because addressing grief is actually a powerful way of transmuting you know pain so we want to really look at like our thought patterns in general and be aware of them. But forcing yourself to think positive thoughts is not only extremely difficult, but it's aggressive, it's a form of denial, and 
it's if you're if you're you know if you're only if you're only thinking that positive thoughts will change your frequency and meanwhile you're like drinking every night and you're you don't have a spiritual practice you don't do any work and it's just you forcing yourself to think positive thoughts and i guarantee you what's going to be happening you know so it's a subconscious level there's going to be a lot of unintegrated emotional material waiting to erupt at any moment yeah also called gaslighting yourself yes yeah yeah <laughs> in a sense but you're right it's not black and white it's also important to have control of your mind and thoughts not fall into like catastrophizing negativity doom and gloom so you know what i call is uh, something to be said about be healthily optimistic see always what's the positive lesson out of it the positive side of each thing and not going down into pure negativity, doom and gloom and self-pity. There's something to be said. Yeah, right? I would say what's more useful is being able to notice your thoughts and notice how those specific thoughts make you feel and realize that you have agency over the thoughts that you pay attention to on how you feel. And that's more useful, I think. But at the same time, you know, if you do have a repeating thought that's negative, look into that, like look into where that's coming from. Like this is a great moment to do some inner work around it, to do some self-work, to explore the origin, why you constantly have like, so say if you have a constantly have a negative thought that I'm not good enough or I'm unworthy, super common, um, investigating, why do I believe that? Did someone tell me that? Was there circumstances in my life where I believed that? Is that true? So digging a little bit to uncover the origin, to understand the truth of where it's coming from can be way better than just putting like, I am worthy on your wall and like just repeating that as a mantra. That can be definitely useful, but if your subconscious mind doesn't believe you're worthy, you can say that over and over and over again and it's gonna, it's gonna show that you don't actually believe that in your body language and your emotions you're going to feel that fact that that's not true to you on a deeper level yeah so that's about thinking the mind thoughts positive thoughts all of that but what about raising your vibration so we hear this a lot raise your vibration yeah. the vibrations of the planet is rising we are vibrating into 5d and only good vibes no bad vibes yeah so we really need to understand at the concept of what i also call frequency resonance vibration which also ties already in this whole concept of manifestation, reality creation. But again, it's it's very, very more, much more detailed than the oversimplified ideas that are floating around there. So basically, on the, in a nutshell, though, your frequency resonance vibration, your vibration, is based, yes, on your con partly on your conscious thoughts, feelings, and impressions you're consciously aware of. But this is a tiny minority, and it's kind of like the best. Uh, Visual for that is having the big iceberg, little tip on the top, but there's a huge body below you, another way off. Yeah. And that's the majority of your frequency uh, resonant vibration, how your vibration is comprised of comprised of your shadow, meaning anything what you're unconsciously not aware of, negative, positive shadow, your subconscious, including feelings you suppress and not aware of because you force yourself to stay negative, uh, positive. So yeah. all of that suppression of what you may call negative and don't feel comfortable feeling is actually still part of your resonance vibration um in an unconscious level also unconscious trauma unconscious core beliefs that go back to ancestral beliefs your parental image past life karma universal forces acting through you all of that so this all con um, comprises your frequency resonance vibration so just consciously trying to think positive ironically creates more quote-unquote shadow within you and gives you actually an illusion it makes your shadow stronger too it makes more your powerful. shadow strong and you fall into what's also 
called into kind of mystical phenomena from the esoteric science, you overestimate your level of being. And we see this a lot. Mm -hmm. right? People the, think problem, the problem with exiling anything to the shadow, denying anything, is that you cut it off from consciousness. And when you cut it off from consciousness, you actually make it more powerful. So if you're thinking just positive, positive thoughts, but you have an extremely large negative thought lurking in the shadow, and they're just denying it, oh, I don't have that thought, and you're just cutting it off, you're actually just making it more powerful. So addressing it with truth, with knowledge, with awareness is actually the best way to dispel the yes. negative thought. Exactly. So exactly, just changing beliefs, thoughts, and emotions, or trying to raise your vibration with a smiley face, or just even affirmations and all of that, or positive thinking on a conscious service level, while it can be helpful to a degree, working through resistance are definitely not enough. So, But here's the key point, and I go deeper into this in my upcoming uh, webinar course on how to create abundance in alignment of divine will, where I go deeper in this aspect of vibration, reality creation from a more esoteric, spiritual perspective. How you truly actually raise your vibrations, not by trying to raise your vibration, <laughs> mm. but by removing and healing and integrating, transmuting and everything that's in the way of who you truly are. That's what David Hawkins actually says as Which well. Which is the essence, your so, true self. Yeah, so David Hawkins says that as well, by the way, in the, you know, David Hawkins, who wrote Power Versus Force, who talks mm -hmm. about the map of consciousness, that it's actually about removing what's in the way through feeling into what's actually there, through letting go of it, that's, that you raise your level of consciousness. Exactly. And people misunderstand his work, actually, and apply like law of attraction, raising your vibration type like ideas to his work, not realizing he didn't actually say that. Yes, his work is easily missed. People also judge his web map of consciousness without even having read his book. Yes, like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So that's because your true essence, that's the highest vibration you can have. Your true essence, your true soul being connected to the divine that also then is in alignment with your deeper unique soul purpose and you become a transducer for divine will. So that's by... And that requires deep inner psycho-spiritual work. And it's not quote-unquote easy work because you have to go down into the shadow and put light into it. Yeah. So speaking right. of shadow, let's okay. move on to the next point. So shadow work. Okay, so here's a misconception. I've already done shadow work is one thing. Oh, <laughs> right. I've done shadow work. I've been I'm there. I, I'm, I'm done with it, you know. I've integrated my shadow. <laughs> That's let's, a big one. Let's go with this one first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's go with that one first. Well, yeah. you know, I think that it's a very ongoing, it's an ongoing process that becomes nuanced and more subtle with time. What I've noticed is a few things that happen. A lot of people intellectually maybe have done shadow work, but have it's almost like intellectually knowing your childhood wounds, like intellectually knowing your shadow issues and your shadow can change and morph with time. Like I would actually argue that most people don't really get the concept of shadow work and what it actually means. They have this very surface level understanding of it. And I don't think, you know, shadow work is a one and done thing. Carl Jung would agree with me. Um, it can take decades, multiple decades even longer. I, it's a lifetime work, actually, I think. Until you're fully enlightened, I believe that it's an ongoing process. And it becomes more nuanced with time. And I think that the more sincere you are, the easier it is to catch when there's a moment where your shadow got activated or you saw your shadow in another person. But you really have to have this deep sincerity because it's not comfortable. It's not fun. It's confronting. And you have to understand that the deep value in it is that it eventually leads you to your soul 
and your true self and even your daimon, which is what Carl Jung outlined when he talked about how it evolves to this inner teacher self kind of image. So unless you feel deeply connected to the true self uh, and you say you've done shadow work, I would argue that a lot of people who say they've done shadow work and are done with it are, it's actually another part of their shadow. <laughs> Ironically. Yes. I would say a lot of people say that also don't really, like you said, don't understand shadow work, maybe haven't really read any of young in psychology, really don't really studied it, really knowing how to do it, what it is, what it implies, because let's, face it, it has, the, the term shadow work has become very hyped over the past few years. A lot of people talk about it, you know, say it, but even the ideas of triggering projection, people have really like convoluted, very oversimplified ideas around it. And like you just mentioned, even to claim that you have done shadow work literally implies that you're enlightened, meaning you have nothing, everything, you're conscious of everything in your being. There's nothing unconscious. Your personal conscious is entire, uh, entirely yeah. integrated because exactly. the shadow implies the personal unconscious, exactly. meaning all of your past material, which by the way, does actually include material from past lives yeah. as well. And like you said, it's more nuanced. I'm, I'm not done with shadow work, but you made a good point. And I see this, a lot of people maybe get frustrated. I'm done with shadow work. I've done this so long because they have not applied it correctly. They have not done it correctly. Yes. And what you mentioned, the trap, I have seen this in myself. When I first got into Young in psychology, started Young's work, have folders of it in the 90s, really read. And I started doing shadow work, but I was intellectualizing it. Yes, I became yeah. intellectual, oh, this is a trigger because that relates to this and that. And my mind fooled itself just by knowing my uh, you know, childhood wounds or where it may originate from that I've healed it, but the body is storing it. It was not fully integrated. It was yeah. partially intellectually, but not fully somatically through the body and really on all levels. Yeah. The interesting thing about the shadow too, is that the more we deny it in ourselves, the more likely it will arrive to us in the form of another person meaning we're going to see someone who actually embodies traits that we hold within ourselves, we'll project our shadow onto them. And that, and to withdraw those projections, by the way, meaning to be like, oh, this nastiness that I'm seeing in this other person is actually a part of me, takes a lot of psychic strength because you have to sit in that realm of your projections. Withdrawing the projections means you take that energy back and you take it ideally back into your own self. And then ideally you gain self energy from doing that. But I have to say it's, it, you know, it doesn't help us that we live in a world where it's constant shadow projection either. <laughs> Meaning that if we want to go along with the waves of the culture of people who are kind of very regular type people at our work and everyday life, we're going to have endless opportunities to co-project our shadows and feel that's justified in doing it. So the moment that you start to withdraw your projections, you're literally going against the tide of like 90% of people out there. More than that. Yeah. And so it's, it's abnormal. A lot of people don't do it. In fact, you're going to get way more attention in this day and age to project your shadow because other people love projecting yeah. their shadow and feeling justified in it. Can I say on this real quick? Yeah. Yeah. yeah even on Twitter, it's a shadow projection luge fest. And, you know, you can like get more followers, get more likes and 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 really yes. viral content if you engage in the shadow projection shows, even get some money for from Musk for <laughs> well, what do you uh, ad, for money, ad, yeah, ad, yeah. ad revenue and whatnot. Exactly. Because exactly. it's a, it's literally loose fest uh, left projecting on right, right projecting on left and, and all of that. Yeah. Um and that's tie that let's tie that into the idea. Um Is, by the way, let me just say what you just mentioned as well. I want to add real quick. 
shadow work is easier said than done because like you mentioned to retrieve the um, uh, projections the ego personality the wound itself Hates justifies it. wants to justify the trigger yeah, wants yeah. to project want to like wallow in it yes. you know it wants to rationalize it not realizing that your perceptions about other people are uh, a revelation of your own psyche most of the time exactly or a confession for some for many okay cool so let's move on to so being triggered is a bad thing. So I hear this, like this term got so popular. It's like, oh, you're triggered, you're triggered, you're triggered. People throw it around left and right. Even myself, sometimes I have to admit. Um, and, you know, being triggered is not necessarily a bad thing. It's an everyday human event. It's happening. There's probably millions of people on this planet at this very moment getting triggered right now. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Maybe you're getting triggered through this podcast yeah, already. <laughs> and so it's not a bad thing. We need to just normalize it. Like, what do we define as a trigger? An emotional explosion, an emotional reaction to something. And I would say there's a difference between a trigger than, you know, so for example, this is an analogy I give a lot when we do embodied soul awakening because people ask like, oh, what's the difference between a trigger and a projection and like, just like- You mean in our course. In our course, Embodied Soul yeah. Awakening. Um, so if you, so say someone, you walk into a grocery store and someone just calls you a asshole or just a rude name and it's out of nowhere and you're like, what, what was that, you know? Um, and you feel hurt and confused and maybe a little bit angry in the moment. Um, and then you do your grocery shopping and by then you're like, oh, that was kind of weird, but you don't really feel the emotion anymore and you let it go. So that's not a trigger. That's just you having an emotional reaction to a weird and uncomfortable event. So if you can say, ouch, here's the barometer. If you, if it's a trigger to explore or not, if you, you can say, ouch, that hurt or ow, like, mm, that made me a little bit angry and then let it go. Then no need to explore it. It's already gone. But if you stew on it, if you go home that night thinking about, oh, like, why did that person call me that? Oh, like, maybe I was being rude or maybe it's something about me or, you know, or you get angry at them and you stew on it for the rest of the night, then that points to the fact that there's what I would call emotional ammunition that you're carrying, that the trigger activated, meaning something from your past got triggered from that experience. And then, yeah, it is useful for you to explore it. But we need to not pathologize having emotional reactions. In fact, having emotional reactions to things, as long as they're measured and appropriate to the circumstance, is a sign that you're just connected to your emotional body. A lot of people are actually very checked out of their emotions these days. And so it's not a bad thing to get triggered. However, what you is is the trigger um an is a trigger make sense in relation to the event that happened meaning yeah. if your mother died yeah of course you'd be really emotional i would expect unless you know you didn't have a good relationship with her but you know like there's things that 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 make sense for you to have an emotional reaction to and there's things that don't make sense for, for you to have emotional reaction i i e if you walk into your office one day and a woman who's in there who you talked to at lunch yesterday doesn't really say hi to you or greet you in the same way that she usually does. And you're like, oh, she hates me. What did I do wrong? Then that's something to explore, right? Or the other way, you think, oh, what a bitch. You know, you project onto her if, yeah. uh, because she didn't say hi and she's just having not a good day. Yes. Um, but in a nutshell, I mean, this is a whole deep topic in itself. Again, we'd go very deep in this whole shadow work and even way more. Uh, trauma work and all of that in our 14 week group coaching program but it's all awakening the next round will start uh, early January of the we're going to take year. registration in October we have a, a little like um, overview shadow work masterclass on our courses too 
to um, get deeper into that. But I also want to address, I think people have a very misconception about shadow work that they think the goal is not to be triggered. Yes. Right? And yeah. that uh, being triggered is a bad thing. No, no, no. That's not how it works. The trigger is your teacher. Right? That's how you really... Triggers only a quote-unquote bad thing if you do not know how to work with it. Right? Yeah. And it, the problem is actually the ammunition behind the trigger. The emotional right. content from the past that explodes upon the person when you're triggered is usually the problem. Not that you got upset. Exactly. And then even you see this... I see this even at the political level, how the conservative, you know, they completely misapply. They have some very superficial idea of shadow work and like, oh, the left is triggered, triggered. You see the memes going around, but making fun of that, but still don't even understand themselves how they also project their shadow <laughs> onto the left and, and vice versa, and not really engaging into the work, uh, you know, of, of psycho-spiritual work, especially shadow work, in order to trace back what does, to become curious, what does it remind me of, and all of that. But no, tr being triggered is not a bad thing. I still get triggered here and there, absolutely, sometimes big triggers, small triggers, we trigger each other. It's great material for the work to become more conscious, to get closer to your true soul being, to remove what's in the way of your essence. So a trigger is welcomed even in, in self-work, even when you work with a therapist or in group work, we do, we welcome triggers because, okay, here we go now, something open up, that's a hint to integrate the shadow, to uh, advance in the process of individuation. Yes, exactly. Right? Okay. okay, let's go to the last one. So humanity is ascending. So I hear this a lot. Oh, we're just ascending. We're all in this ascension process. I hear also things that when you get sick, it's a sign of ascension. Like they have oh, all these symptoms. They have all these like sanction symptoms. Like I'm yeah. just ascending, ascending, ascending. And um, so, what do we think? What do you think of that? <laughs> well, first of all, define uh, you know from the new age the idea of you ascending into five D, and that nobody questions this whole five D concept, which is very convoluted. People have different ideas about it. And a lot of it ties into spiritual bypassing, people overestimating their level of being or even regular health issues or what they're dealing with as quote-unquote ascension symptoms. Because Yeah, know, I always wonder that when people say, oh, I'm getting sick, it's ascension symptoms. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, I'm, so my what... My DNA is recalibrating. Yeah, what, but, what's, but what's your diet? What's your environment? Yeah. What's your state of health? You know, what's your like, emotional look, health? Look, trauma look, work? Yeah, look at, the, look at some of the basic things that can affect your health exactly. especially trauma can create all sorts of autoimmune things by the way so the whole ascension thing has been very convoluted you know as well ties into the process of awakening and the idea a lot of people have again in the more pop spiritual new age circles is that this awakening process is a linear road upwards right towards more love and bliss hence you want to just focus on positivity eh? and be in the flow, and 5D, and manifest, and no negativity, and you live in the solipsistic bubble, bubble and nothing affects you because you're ascending, and humanity ascending. We are ascending. I mean, I've heard all these predictions over the past 20 years that we already should have ascended uh, into like love and light and union and, and mass enlightenment, especially around 2012. None of that happened. But it's not how it works. Because, I think, because the yeah. awakening process is not a linear road up. Yeah. It's really a spiral that expands on all levels because awakening process implies actually shadow work implies to become aware of all, right? To spiritualize everything. Like like Sri Aurobindo said in his work, it's also based on the quote law of ascent and descent, meaning you can only ascend as high as you're able and willing to descend low into the shadow, into the mud and clear it out and spiritualize it and bring it to an awareness and integrate it. Into the unconscious, into you the mean? 
in, in that's what I you know into the unconscious exactly that's the quote unquote darkness yeah right that's the same what Carl Jung said no tree can reach to heaven that has not its roots in hell or Sri Aurobindo's uh, famous quote no one can reach heaven who has not gone through hell and that implies the widening on all levels you have to do the shamanic descent into the underworld as it's called to spiritualize and then rise like the phoenix and then you can truly ascend to higher levels because you have integrated certain parts it's more grounded yeah in that sense I think that um, just by observing the collective state of humanity and how very little people are self-aware, are engaged in any deep soul or spiritual work, that we've actually descended <laughs> and that <laughs> yes. could be part, that could, that you could argue that yes. could be part of the ascension uh. process. But I would argue that we are in a desanction process right now, and we are in the process of exposing a lot of the shadows of the underworld in the collective yes. right now. And, and it's not an ascension because if it was an ascension process. Like, I mean, can you really look at social media these days and tell us we're in an ascension <laughs> process? Besides, unless you're just following like new age people who say that, you know, so... There's a yeah. descent into the underworld, there's a descent into the subconscious, there's a descent into your wounds, your traumas that is necessary. Yeah. And it's a widening, um, not just a higher linear road up and up. Exactly. Okay, so Excellent. this is the end of the first hour. So on the second hour, just to remind people, we're going to be talking about cult forces and entity attachments, um, these misconceptions about tarot cards and astrology, that you need a specific diet. That's going to be a very controversial one. So that's, that, that, that's what we got to put on the second hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, in order to free yourself from the matrix, you just need to grow your own food, not use banks, etc. And then lastly, having an awakening experience now means that you're awake and everyone else is a sheep. So let's, we're going to get into the second hour. So again, if you want to join our second hour and listen to the second hour of every podcast, please go to veilofreality.com slash membership. And you can join and get access to every second hour there. And we'll see you on the second hour. 